it's humans first for us, how we can use technology to improve their lives, and in that process, how we actually interact with it. That's Rick Corey from the Vemi Lab talking about humans using technology to make their lives better. A huge topic and issue in our world today. For those of us who are technically savvy and many of us who are befuddled about the devices in our life. I'm Ron Lisnett, and this is the Main Question Podcast from the University of Maine. The intersection where people meet and interact with technology. That is the work of the VEMI Lab at UMaine. VEMI, an acronym that sort of sounds like it could be a Latin word. In fact, it stands for Virtual Environment and Multimodal Interaction Laboratory, which is certainly a mouthful. Despite its lengthy name, it's pretty easy to understand the kinds of problems they take on, many of which boil down to how can people effectively use a particular technology and leverage it to do the most good. A few examples. Developing a smartphone app and 3D simulator to help nursing students who are learning remotely deal with a heart patient. Making computer and data science accessible to students who may be visually or otherwise impaired. Another big issue on the horizon. How will and should people interact with autonomous vehicles which have no steering wheel or pedals, but will know how to get you where you want to go? We talked about these projects and many others and the mission of the VEMI Lab with the three folks who are in charge. Nick Giudici, who is visually impaired himself, is one of the co-founders along with Rick Corey. The newcomer to the leadership team is Assistant Professor of Chemical and Biomedical Engineering, Caitlin Howell. We covered many topics, including the main question, how can people get the most out of technology? Maybe let's start with uh, just some of the basics. If you look at the acronym VEMI, you'd think maybe that's a Latin word. I'm not sure what it is. So, Rick, maybe you can start and then others can chime in. What is VEMI? When and why was it created? And what is the, the big picture mission that y- you all have over there? VEMI started originally and uh, Nick will help me refresh my memory on this, but I believe its original title was the Giudici Lab for all about six months um, until we came up with the Virtual Environment and Multimodal Interaction title. And then it became VEMI. And now here we are almost 13 years later and the Virtual Environment and Multimodal Interaction is still happening, but it doesn't seem to uh, cover Uh, as much as what we do now. The VEMI Lab is now more about looking at human interface technologies um, and how how we work within it. Nick, maybe you can jump in on this, but I don't remember how long until we actually got VEMI actually up and running. I think you're right, around six months. You know, Rick and I started working and we came from very different backgrounds. I'm an experimental psychologist. Uh, He came out of an interest in uh, different types of media and collaboration. And so we we had this interest in how do we look at, bring people from different backgrounds together. And he really got me to understand and believe way more in collaboration than I originally did. And that's kind of a big part of what we're built on. But it also kind of came out of, in in my grad school at least, there was a lot of people that came together and there was a centralized place for a lab. But but when, when I started here, it was kind of when everyone was getting excited about, oh, we can have PDFs and remote journals and people weren't being together. And there was this very decentralized view of, of you know, people weren't actually working together. And so we wanted to build something that brought people together, but also brought people from different backgrounds. And that was also a, kind of a beauty of being in the spatial computing faculty uh, here at UMaine is a very diverse group of people that's 
kind of unique in, in really in the country because we there's people from lots of different backgrounds. And so that kind of helped to solidify this is important and this is what we want to do in building Vimy. So at its essence, and maybe Caitlin, you can jump in on this. Or, you know, anybody can jump in at any point. The, the goal is to look at humans interacting with technology, that interface, that intersection. Is that sort of where you live and, and, and what your purpose is, big picture? The big general scoping picture is it's humans first for us, how we can use technology to improve their lives, and in that process, how we actually interact with it. You can take this in two different cases, like in Nick's research, where you're actually looking at human wayfinding and how can we use technology to help people navigate situations where they uh, can't see or they're obstructed in some way, to uh, Caitlin's research where we're starting to look at how you can actually detect uh, germs, dirtiness and stuff on surfaces that you can't see. How do we use that tech to uh, help humans be able to interact with something they, they you know, uh, couldn't see or couldn't do before. And it comes in, you know, in many different shapes, but in general, that's, that's really what we come down to. Caitlin, it seems like your expertise is taking Vemi in a, in a bit of a new direction. Can you just talk about how you came to be involved and, and where you hope to take all the work you're doing? I had been hearing about the Vemi Lab when I first came in 2016 and all the cool toys they had and all the fun stuff they did. I went down to try and convince them to do some capstone projects with biomedical engineers and I walked in thinking that I would really have to sell this because this is going to be extra work and who wants to do extra work? But um, when I walked in and started talking with Rick and Nick, I found this culture that was very much student-centered and very much interested in interdisciplinary work. And they actually jumped on the opportunity to start working with me. And so I, you know, said, hey, can we expand this to research? And so we started thinking about how we can uh, work at this intersection of biomedical engineering and human technology interaction. And there's actually a lot of really, really cool things that can be done there. But there aren't really a lot of people who have the skill sets necessary to do the work. So uh, we took advantage of this gap and we, we started to just see what we could do. So we, we started out with a really interesting project initiated by Val Herbert over in nursing. She is a fantastic nurse educator, very interested in using models and using um, like mannequins to be able to train nursing students before they start to work on actual patients. And so we started to ideate what we could do. And we came up with this idea of, hey, you know, smartphones are ubiquitous. And that is a piece of technology that a potential nursing student up in the county, for example, would be able to use if they can't physically come down here to UMaine and work with the training mannequins that they have in the facilities here. So with the Vemi Lab and with me and with Val and with RJ and with a, with a bunch of people involved in this, we actually designed a series of training like slideshows and an interactive heart that you could project an augmented reality and actually play around with to understand how it was working and when it started to malfunction, what was going wrong. Always something that anyone would have. And we actually just published a paper on that. It came out in the Journal of Clinical Nursing Simulation a while ago. So that's one example. Just um, last week. Just last week, exactly. And then from that, it started to branch out. You know, we said, hey, we work really well together and there's a lot that can be done at this interface. So, 
hey, we're doing some work with um, this, you know, new material that we have in my lab. I really need some expertise about how people interact with these things. Can we begin to build this sensor system that can let people know if a surface is clean or dirty, if they can't really see that well? And so that's a new project that we're starting. But really, I think that there's just so much opportunity here. And it's, it's, it's fun. You know, we're having fun doing science at, at this intersection. I looked at the website and there's certainly a, a laundry list and a long list of projects that, that you all are working on. Give us some, some of the highlights so people can get a, just a general flavor of the areas that you're looking at, the problems you're trying to solve. Nick, that's you. As we said, the mission is really learning by doing and bringing people in and working in different areas. I think is evidenced by all of our backgrounds. Um, so, I mean, a couple of high-level projects. We have a, a number of grants and a, a number of different projects looking at how to make information accessible to people that can't see and especially graphics. So it's pretty much solved if you have text and you may have even used this on your phone or whatever. You, there's text-to-speech engines that read text aloud using natural language and those work pretty well. But there's no equivalent for graphics and there's an increasing number of graphics and particularly in STEM dis disciplines that make, you know, when you're learning something impossible to get that information if you can't see it. And that, uh, uh, as, a, as a blind person myself, I mean, I've experienced this. We'll do a paper and someone will bring me a figure and say, here, here's a graph of the data. And I'll be like, well, okay, what, what does it show? Um, so, so that drove a lot of personal interest. And I think a lot of us are, we're driven a lot by our own personal views to help drive the research we do. Um, and so that's, we have a grant on access to STEM using different senses, haptics, which is touch, um, hearing, language. We just got one uh, on accessible data science, uh, which will be starting in a couple months. And so that's a big area. Another area uh, Rick mentioned is navigation and, and wayfinding. So how do we get around, especially in buildings? GPS doesn't work inside. How does that work? Even sighted people have a much harder time seeing because of walls and, and, and floors and ceilings blocking what you see. And if you don't see, it's hard to access signs. So, you know, and things like that. So there's a lot of work we're doing with that. Autonomous vehicles is a big area and one of our, our most exciting areas that we're getting into. How do you deal with the human aspect of autonomous vehicles instead of just the engineering aspect? Um, there's a bunch of others, but I would say those are some of the high level right. ones and other people can jump in with some of their projects. Oh, I was gonna say, and we also have the the smaller but more interest, more interesting projects of the project we're working on with Dartmouth, which is looking at how uh, we can make videos accessible to everyone, um, even uh, the blind community. Um, we're doing projects with uh, the Margaret Chase Smith Center and looking at making opioid apps to uh, help with overdose Um you know, that the plague of overdoses happening. And yeah, I mean, we've got all kinds of little exploratory projects. Um, we have a service wing of VEMI as well that, you know, uh, helps within the community and uh, within the humane community, but also outside community doing corporate projects to keep the students entertained and educated in new and <laughs> different ways. It seems like we're really on the cusp of an era where some of these technologies, whether it's AI or sensors or, or some of the things you're talking about, are really going to start to be more prominent and more noticeable in our lives. Where do you think we are on that journey? 
obviously some of these technologies are with us now, but are, are we just really starting to tap into what is possible? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the biggest ones is, and the three of us talk about this a lot, um, is this, the world and where we're studying right now with autonomous vehicles, um, I think, and this is, you know, straight up just my opinion, I think this is going to be the most impactful technology change that we've had in a long, long time. Uh, because this is a switch from a vehicle being a tool to a vehicle being service. Uh, we're looking at a switch from owning to uh, using, uh, you know, the, the ride sharing model. And the idea that you, we're talking about fully autonomous vehicles, the idea that there will be no steering wheel or pedals and that you have to interact with the AI to get to the point in which you want to travel to, um, comes with all kinds of uh, new areas of research, you know, from not only keeping them on the road, but uh, how do we interact inside the vehicle? This this term that Nick and I coined, this human vehicle collaboration, is starting to look at uh, how does collaborative AI work specifically in vehicles. And I think as far as technology, that's probably one of the biggest ones moving forward. AI has such a broad-reaching term, um, and I believe AI is going to be a big part of our lives, and I believe there's a lot of ethical discussions to come with that. Just narrowing it down just a little and looking at the way in which we travel and how dramatic it's going to change uh, is really interesting. And, and I can just say from Vemi's perspective, we're really excited about this. Uh, it just, you know, what's going to come out of this and how can we uh, make this safer and, and make people more comfortable with it? Caitlin or Nick, maybe you could uh, chime in here. What, aside from that sea change you're, that Rick was just talking about, some other new advancements on the horizon that you're really excited about that people may not know about right now. And are there any that are cause a cause for concern? I don't know about cause for concern, but one thing that I'm excited about that sort of goes along with this whole sea change with autonomous vehicles is being able to do even more with our smartphones and being able to integrate our smartphones in a more meaningful way, sort of in understanding the world around us. It's an incredibly powerful piece of technology that nearly all of us carry around all the time. And so being able to really leverage that and take advantage of that to provide ourselves with more information and more connection and more understanding, I think that's something that that's going to also continue to get bigger and bigger. One of the big areas, uh, the hottest areas in, in, in science and research in general, but a big area at the university is looking at AI and machine learning and how all these types of things are impacting life. And I think that's, this is obviously hugely important, uh, but there's also issues around trust. There's issues of how do we bring in, you know, if we go back to Beamy's core mission of thinking about the human aspect of technology, you know, we don't even fully understand human intelligence. You know, I, I come out of a Experimental psychology background, and spent a lot of time thinking about you know how, how the brain works, and we don't know that. So I think it's very important to be able to think about when we're doing AI and, and machine learning uh, type research, really smartly and, and 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 continuously connecting it back to how this is actually improving the human experience and how humans can can tap into that. You don't want technology to be sort of the, the tail that wags the dog, I guess, is really what it comes down to. We really want to avoid that. We've seen what happens when uh, we let technology lead us. 
yeah, it it doesn't turn out very well. One of the other areas, Ron, and I know you're, you're fishing for something new that probably nobody knows anything about is um, volumetric uh, capturing and volumetric displays, which is kind of the next evolution of virtual reality. And uh, really interesting, these uh, big rooms and where you can uh, capture everyone in it and get their exact movement and then project uh, around them based on how they're moving within that space. Um, that's a that's a new area that's actually growing pretty rapidly, and one I'm keeping an eye on. It's it's the st- it's the step to getting to that whole you know what it, what's the Star Trek thing the the uh, hollow um, holodeck. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> the holodeck. It's it's the step to get there because we have to know where people are. Within the space of the room, the size of the person, what they're reaching for, where they're going at um, in order to get there. So, yes, it's getting closer and closer to that. Is that holographs? Are, are, are holographs part of that? No, not yet. We're Yeah, that's where we're at next. So you're not beaming anybody anywhere yet? No, not that's yet. That's the next we're, thing, Ron. Yeah, okay. that's where we're at One next. thing at a time. All right, all right. Where do your students come from, and, and what kind of experiences are they, are they getting, and, and where do they take that experience uh, once they leave you? I'll start. I'll let the, these other two hop in, but um, our students come from literally everywhere, uh, and when we say interdisciplinary, we really mean it. Um, I don't believe that there is a college on campus that we haven't had a student from, we have students from everywhere, from philosophy to mechanical engineering to art, nursing, you name it. We, we've, we have students that come to VEMI to learn, and what we like to say is to augment their education. Uh, what they get when students come and work for VEMI is they learn about the research process, uh, research education. We've been doing that uh, now through... Uh, a winter course that we've been running called Rapid Research Week, but we've been running that for about six, seven years, uh, and where we bring students in and teach them the process of human subject research um, from beginning to end in one week. And then students that end up uh, working at the lab get to use that process on a regular basis, because our students uh, don't just clean beakers or just, you know, put data into Excel sheets, we actually have them do the work. I mean, they actually will run the studies, they get certified, they help, you know, the PIs, uh, you know, get the information, gather the information, do the design with whatever they're putting together. So we try to fully integrate uh, the students into everything we do, which at the end of the day really makes for a really diverse and interesting student. And that's probably why they're sought after by some of these big companies that they're often working at. I would say that the, the, the real innovation of the lab, beyond our research, beyond our tech, which we all think is great, obviously, because we're here, but, but beyond that, you know, as Rick's saying, we're bringing people in from different places, but we're not saying, oh, great, we have a biochemist, so we'll let them do the biochemistry stuff. We're, we're, the biochemist is doing the computer science stuff or running studies. Like people are working together. It's not a traditional vertically integrated lab where it's like, oh, I'm the faculty, you know, PI. So everyone listens to me. You have, you know, grad students, postdocs, faculty, listening to an undergrad, teaching them about, you know, an aspect of development that's happening. So people are working, you know, alongside each other at all different levels. 
I think that's really important in, in kind of this rounds model like you get in medical school to some extent where people are working on different things. And I think another key aspect of really what makes this unique uh, uh, versus other kind of experiential learning uh, scenarios is that we really encourage people to, you know, they have to be willing to fail on the path to success because that means you're willing to try things, you're willing to create, you're willing to innovate, you're willing to be wrong, uh, which means we're pushing boundaries. And I think that's really important. As, and as you know, you may move to an R1 university as we really start pushing experiential learning beyond just a catchword. I think these are some of the things that that more and more people will start thinking about doing because it really is very different than the traditional model. But we found as, as Rick said, it works. It gets people, students to learn both hard skills and soft skills. It gets people jobs and it makes people, you know, really desirable and desired. So I think that's uh, something that we really are proud of. And I know Rick, you talked about this. Anybody could jump in here, but there's sort of a community that has built up and your alumni continue to be involved with Vemi. I want Caitlin, because Caitlin's new to this, and it, it. I love the way Caitlin talks about it, so go for it, Caitlin. Building off what Nick just said, the, the focus on not being afraid to try something and fail, I think it makes everybody, when everybody sees everybody else trying and failing, then you feel more confident to try new things, and as a result of that, you start to see the value in, in what everybody is attempting to do. You, you know, as, as an engineer, you value what the anthropologist has to say. As the English major, you value what the nursing student has to say. They're no longer these silos that were really stuck in as academics so often. And as a result of that, you know, a lot of these students who are, who are graduating and moving on to new things, they're able to take this skill set that they learned and apply it in really, really incredible ways. You know, we've had some, some startups that have gotten going, and I think Rick is probably going to be in a better position to talk about um, really where the alumni have, have headed and how they continue to interact in the lab yeah. once they're out. Yeah, I think one of the, the things that has amazed me more than anything else is because we have made this model of, as, as Nick and Caitlin were just talking about, of people being more engaged and interacted and students seeing other people be engaged and interacted, they, they become committed. And they become very committed to the lab and the success of the lab. And then what we see them is, is trying harder, coming up with their own new ideas on how to make it better. And then the most amazing thing that I never expected to see, but we have 13 years of alumni that uh, are there, are there helping the current students, are all, we have a persistent chat client that we use, we, um, you know, on Discord, and uh, they're all, you know, all the alumni are there. If, if our current students have a question, they can ask the alumni and they'll jump right in and, and, and answer them. Um, if there is a, a hard research problem or if our alumni who are working in key areas like, you know, in Google and Disney and Amazon and stuff like that, and they're like, hey, I want to get a job there. I want an internship there. Can you help me? And then you see that, that level of those students reaching back and going, yeah, here, this is where you're going to apply. So we have this like in just total holistic family that exists around Vemi now. And it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's something I didn't, I mean, it's one of those things you try for, but you didn't, you know, you didn't really expect it to happen in the way in which it does. And it, it's, uh, it comes with a lot of pride. Uh, we, we've created this world and uh, it seems to be working. Caitlin, you mentioned spinoff companies. I don't know who could speak to this, but 
Uh, we spoke recently with the Advanced Manufacturing Center. They've certainly worked with a lot of companies. I imagine you folks do the same thing, but has some of the work led to products or patents or spinoff companies? That's Yeah, that's a Rick question for sure. We have two spinoffs from Vemi. Uh, one is Kinotech, which is probably one of the hottest startups right now in Maine. Um, uh, so Kinotech's down in Portland. There's also Unar Labs, which is a, a, a grad student uh, working with Nick down in Portland. They started up a new lab down there looking at more along the lines of Nick's research and how we can make uh, basically haptic displays and get information that uh, we couldn't otherwise get. Um, I sure I butchered that for you, Nick, so sorry about that. But um, we have two spinoffs. We also have a, a, a lot of companies that we work with. There's There's been no real uh, patents that we've you know pushed out. Most of the things that we do are community-driven or open source. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of papers, a lot of publications that go out there, a lot of students on those publications with us uh, that get cited a lot. And, um, yeah, we, we're really kind of happy. We actually are starting to do some work with other organizations to help and build our startup community so they, when they move out, it gets a little easier for our students that want to do that. Caitlin mentioned the silos, and that's such a problem in, in academia. And a big part of experiential learning and just what we think of as you know, good science is to not have it be stuck in the lab, to not just get our grants and write a paper, which are, which are really important for dissemination. But how do we actually get what we're doing out there to help people to make a difference, to get into the community? And if that's through startups or that's through working with companies, um, that's a great way to do it. But the more we can make it, you know, things that are open source, that are accessible, that we can provide, um, you know, the, the more that's able to make a difference in, in, in the reach of what we're doing. And that's, you know, that's an important part of what, how we think it should be done. Finally, for, for each of you, maybe you could chime in on this. As you look into the future, what excites you about the work you're doing that you really are, are looking forward to seeing where it goes? Just anything that pops into your head about what uh, makes you excited and confident about what might be coming down the road. I'm excited to drive legally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, the autonomous vehicle thing, that's a good point, Nick. That's, yeah, that would be really cool to see that happen. Uh, I'll, I'll speak for me. I'm really excited to see, like, how can we expand and refine our experiential learning model uh, better and bring in more students. We have a lot of students that we can't take in because we just financially can't afford it. Um, so we're looking at, you know, the future of how can we make this uh, some sort of a classroom? How can we make it, uh, you know, even a degree program in the future, maybe a VEMI degree program? I'm, I'm just throwing ideas out there of what, what this would look like. But I think there's a lot of room for this more experiential learning and research education. And I think that if we're going to make more diverse students that work in this ever-changing environment that they're in, that we have to go that direction. So I'm really looking forward to kind of pushing that along. Nick, what's the first car you want to drive, a Ferrari, or what are you hoping for? Whatever we can get sensors on that will keep it on the road. Okay, great. Caitlin, how about you? 
I am really excited to build on what Rick just explained, because if we, you know, expand this, if we can get more students in here as a researcher, being able to work with students is one of my most favorite things because students aren't yet trapped in this little box that we end up being trapped in when we go through years and years and years of education. They have incredible abilities to put things together that we would have never thought or to bring in experiences or to have interests outside of this particular area and see the connection to what we're doing. So as we are able to increase the amount of experiential learning, that is going to naturally lead into some of the you know really, really cool, impactful ideas that end up changing the communities for the better. So I see that going forward, we're going to be able to do that more and more and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we're excited to see where, where all of you take all of this. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. You're welcome. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ron. You can find out more about the lab and the many projects they have going on at umaine.edu slash VEMI. You can find all of our podcast episodes in a number of spots, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We'd love to hear from you. If you have comments or questions, write to us at mainquestion at maine.edu. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question. Mm-hmm.